Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey to the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words and mispronunciations of names, cities and more. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm not, it's because I, I've been... <laughs> going well because i've been writing like all day and so my brain is like in a completely different reality and it hasn't come into normal reality in my head i'm on the floor of a very beautiful florence apartment drinking wine and in reality i'm here i'm sorry which is not there um about about that (laughs) so what's new what's happening what's what's Cooking. What's new? What's happening? Um, nothing at all. Cool. Let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> On to the book. Oh my god, that's what podcast <laughs> listeners actually want, though, right? We're like, screw this, like bantery preamble. We nothing. The end. What's um... new? So you've been you've been rediscovering old writings of your own that you forgot you did completely accidentally um apparently what I discovered about myself is that I like to write in a sort of um dementia frenzy and then completely forget (laughs) that I've written anything at all and then five years later discover them by accidentally signing into an old online account I was like what the hell is this what's what's I don't know what this is. Oh, I'll read it and find out what it is. And I'm like reading through and I'm like, oh, this is quite funny. Where's this from? Who did this? That's kind of exciting though. I wrote something I wrote like, very weird. Because I didn't even, as I was reading it, I didn't even recognize it as my writing. So I was just reading thinking, oh, that's quite funny. This is quite good. Why do I have, what is this thing that I'm reading? And I didn't realize till I got to the end that I had written it. I admitted it. Um, I have no recollection of writing um, it at all. I don't even remember as I'm reading it. Like, it's not like, a, oh, it's all coming back to me. Like, no recollection whatsoever of having written this screenplay five years ago. Um, quite enjoyed it. Obviously, I just bashed out in one night and then put it away and never thought about it again. And I've just rediscovered it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, quite... Um, Quite fascinating. I wonder what else they do when I'm like not paying attention. <laughs> you should install some nanny cams in your own home just to keep an eye on yourself. Make <laughs> just, sure you're not I'm missing out to on wonder if I, any like, other brilliance. Do <laughs> in the middle of the night, other people like sleep eat and I like sleep write novels I mean, or something. How nice um, would that? Which be? I then hide in secret places on the internet. That's a story in itself. Who knows? A sleep writer. <laughs> that time I wrote that book. <laughs> That's a good plot. I'm just saying. <laughs> that is quite a good plot yeah. for a novel. Sleep it's patented, writer. <laughs> guys. You can't steal this. Sleep writer. Okay. Well, you you, you have that okay, one. Okay, great. Um, It'll be done in about 10 years. <laughs> uh, I don't, cool. I, I I don't tend to, to finish things. I love to start, though. <laughs> Big on starting things. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Maybe you've written a classic. A future classic, Beck, while you were unaware. The um, 
the thing that I um was reading today that I'd written and forgotten about um is called The Classicist and it's about someone who is having a mental breakdown and uses the literary works of Oscar Wilde to get themselves through. I have no recollection of writing this whatsoever or coming up with the idea or anything. Um, and it's quite funny. And she's basically sat in her bedsit, like picking different works of Oscar Wilde. Like today I shall this and then lives that day. This um, is brilliant. And at the end is trying to come with a mental breakdown. Yeah, I, I want to know where this comes from. I want to read it, but I also want to do it. You know how I feel about Oscar. <laughs> so there's no segue from that. I tried to start a segue before talking about maybe you wrote a classic, yeah. da, 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 but it just didn't pan out. Oh, it didn't right. pan out because I it didn't pan went out off on because then I I had other things to say and then you had things to say and then there were all these things. That this is why segues said, can't really be planned. You, here you we are. Flow, flow into them. It's the joy of the segue. That's our new podcast. Joy and challenge. <laughs> so, um, so talking about books. talking about books, talking about classics. <laughs> As I brought it back up again. Um, we're doing another classic. Our second classic. We're, yeah, we're quite, I feel like we're classic heavy. Although we've only done two. two. Although I, I do feel like Atonement is kind of oh, yeah. falling it's into like, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? It's, like it's like a modern classic. classic. Oh, yeah. get out of my brain. <laughs> it's scary in there. So um, we're doing classics. Apparently. The classics. All of the classics. Um, which is your favourite genre of book because you have read all of them already. I love Oh, no, wait, them. that is I. Um, you can tell. Do you want to tell us about today's classic? I do want to tell you about today's classic, but I think I think you're doing the author bio, aren't you? I am doing the author bio, yeah. <laughs> today's classic is Jane Eyre. Yeah, woo! Um, written by another person with a lady's name, Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> Jane Eyre, Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Wow. Cool. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Let me tell you a little bit about Charlotte. Please. Charlotte Bronte, eighteen sixteen to fifty-five, was born in Thornton, Yorkshire, one of an extraordinary group of siblings who spent their time immersed in reading and writing, and between them went on to change the nature of English fiction. Publishing under the pseudonym Curra Bell, Charlotte was a great friend of Elizabeth Gaskell, who wrote her biography, as well as William Makepeace Thackeray and George Henry Lewis. Bronte's novels Shirley and Villette are also published in the Penguin English Library. Yeah, I mean, the thing here, guys, is Charlotte Bronte um, has like whole shelves of biography written about her. So what I've done there is given you a Tiny, tiny little snapshot of, of who the woman was. Um, because otherwise I would have been here all night reading reading pages and pages and pages. I'll tell you something else about Charlotte, though. A lot of the people in her life and also herself died a lot. A lot of dying <laughs> happened in the Bronte family. Wow. Like all of them, they were dying all the time. Charlotte died really young. It's a tragic story. Um, there's a lot of death. And I feel like that really can be seen in her work. So I wanted to add that into mm. the snapshot that I presented you with there. I, I appreciate the context. Uh, 
so I'll tell you about this novel, which um, before this, I had never read, nor had I even any idea what it was about at all, uh, which I think is in itself. Do you know now? Uh, vaguely. Uh, but I think it's almost an accomplishment to have lived 34 years in, you know, the Commonwealth and, uh, I don't know, English people, English schooling, uh, and never have, uh, read Jane Eyre or anything by any of the Brontes or had any spoilers, not seen any films, had no idea about the context so I really went into this like a fresh Kate Bush didn't write a song about this one I was gonna um, so... yeah I mean I know all about <laughs> Wuthering Heights because I listened to Kate Bush so I don't even need to I've actually also seen the film but back to the matter at hand though uh let me tell you what Jane Eyre is about now that I know <laughs> a novel of intense emotional power heightened atmosphere and fierce intelligence Jane Eyre dazzled and shocked readers with its passionate depiction of a woman's search for equality and freedom on her own terms. Its heroine, Jane, endures loneliness and cruelty in the home of her heartless aunt and the cold charity of Lowood School. Her natural independence and spirit prove necessary when she takes a position as a governess at Thornfield Hall. But when she finds love with her sardonic employer, Rochester, the discovery of a shameful secret forces her to make a terrible choice. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that uh, synopsis came from Penguin himself. Thank you, Penguin. Penguin or- himself. <laughs> Themselves. I don't the know penguin how himself. Penguin identifies. You know, I feel like in that in that synopsis there are a lot of a lot of big wow words. You've got dazzled, shocked, oh. intense. I just enjoyed being able to use the word sardonic. Sardonic. That's very rare. You don't get sardonic a lot. People tend to go along the sort of lazy language route and just say use sarcastic. But then, you know, there there is a place for sarcasm, but also there's a richness in sardony which we don't often get to enjoy. Mm. I appreciate Mr. Penguin for raising awareness to that point. Yeah. Let's just lift, lift up. The, just uh... just raise the bar. We're raising the bar here, people. We're going to raise that bar today with uh, Rachel Foss, who is an artist and designer who lives in Chicago, Illinois, USA, with her two cats, Winston and Tonks. My two cats are desperately waiting to meet your two cats. Outside of books, Rachel enjoys cycling, archery, and has a podcast dedicated to her obsession with Gilmore Girls called Welcome to Stars Hollow. Rachel, you are a genius. I'm already at Luke's. I will meet you there. I'll get the coffee in and uh, we'll just, we'll sit down and, and we'll discuss Suki and, and Lorelai and Maury and the whole clan. Can't wait. <laughs> well, welcome, Rachel. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, meeting us over here in the UK, all the way from Chicago. P.S. I'm just so excited because I love a Midwestern accent. Oh, yeah. Oh, do I have a really strong one? It's not super strong. I spent a lot of time in Milwaukee, uh, in Wisconsin, so it's just like a dear accent to my heart. Yeah, I can tell. 
just by the way you said Wisconsin, because you did it right, Wisconsin. I've been practicing for many a year. Uh, I've spent a lot of time there, got a tattoo about it. Shout out to all my Milwaukee peeps. What? Anyway, um, we're excited that you're here. I feel like Beck is going to want to just like out of the gate. Actually, let's just out of the gates because it's like the exciting thing. Like, tell us about your podcast. Tell us everything right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, So my podcast is called Welcome to Stars Hollow. It is a Gilmore Girls podcast, but it is an extreme Gilmore Girls podcast. Um, I actually was inspired because I was just sitting around and being like, why do I have all this useless knowledge about Gilmore Girls and I mean a lot of knowledge it um, is not useless knowledge <laughs> I, just wanna, <laughs> I just want everyone to be really clear before we go any further people everyone out there there is no knowledge about the Gilmore Girls which is anything other than entirely necessary and massively beneficial to your life I agree I absolutely agree because I mean I've been watching it since it was on the air first. So I've been watching it for literally 20 years. And I have learned phrases. I've learned about pop culture. I've learned about music and and books from that show. There are books that I went out specifically to read, like Don Powell and Dead Souls by Gogol, because Rory was reading them. You know, it absolutely is relevant. But so here in Chicago... um, I do go to Gilmore Girls trivia a lot. And one of the reasons why I go is because I always win or I always win something. But then quarantine happened and I was like, that's when I was like, well, crap, I have literally no outlet (laughs) anymore. How am I supposed to show off how much I know about Gilmore Girls? I can't just keep talking to my cats about it. Um, So I can, but they're, they're over it. They're done with Gilmore. They're tired of hearing me talk about it. Um, so I was like, I, I've got to put something out into the world. So I actually listened to a few other podcasts about Gilmore Girls and most specifically the Gilmore Guys. And I literally only listened to one episode because I hated it so much. Number one, I I am unfortunately attracted to men, but I really don't like them. It's how I know that you can't choose your sexuality because I hate men. Uh, and I, the last thing on earth I want... Seriously. The last thing on earth I wanted to do was listen to two men talk about Gilmore Girls. And it was so aggravating to hear how they felt about it and what they thought about two women growing up and like going through their lives. So I was like, and I just couldn't, I I had to make another podcast. So that was the, the biggest inspiration of kind of getting started was I, I want a podcast that focuses on women, that focuses on LGBTQ, that focuses on interracial women specifically. Like, it's really important for me to have a very, very diverse guest list because a part of the podcast is I'm talking about Gilmore Girls 20 years later. And when I started it was the very beginning of the Black Lives Matter movements here this year. And so there's even just things in the first season that I'm looking at these very, very subtle comments that nobody would have noticed in 2000. But having seen what was going on in front of my eyes in in, in my own city, you know, in downtown Chicago, it was happening. And 
then watching this episode with all these white people and I was just like, well, we got to talk about that. And it doesn't take away my love for the show, but it does let me analyze it through a critical eye and having such a diverse guest list, I get other perspectives that me as a white girl might not get. Um, secondly in the podcast is that I talk about every single detail in the episode from what is that on the wall in the background to did you know that this is the history of this thing that Rory just mentioned? I mean, everything. More than you ever wanted to know. But we all know that Gilmore Girls is kind of full of these pop culture references. That's the whole thing. But when I was 15, when the show came out, I didn't know what the heck Baklav Havel was. So now I get to go and look it up and say, oh, Baklav Havel, this is what she's talking about. And there's a lot of really interesting things that are coming to light. Things that can not only uh, I'm learning and I'm understanding the joke better, but also it's connecting the characters better. So it's like this very long kind of connecting of the show, the characters. You get to kind of understand these very, very deep references because I'm actually sitting down and doing extreme research on everything that's happening. So, yeah, it's a very, very analytical version of a Gilmore Girls podcast. Um, that sounds like something I need to be listening to literally 24 <laughs> <laughs> 7. Um, as we know, Rory Gilmore read many a book, bear with. Um, and sometimes those books were hardback and sometimes they were paperback books. But what perchance might your preference be if you were to read a book? If, mm-hmm. if I'm wow. reading a book? Yeah. I prefer hardback. You, that's two for two. You've got two in a row. It's like buses. Nothing at all for a really long number of years. And then two Season in a row. two, Rachel, for, for context, Rachel, season two, I had not a single person on my team. Oh, we didn't even tell her whose team is whose. I'm hardback. Beck is paperback. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, season two, literally every single guest chose paperback. And now I am beating the shit out of you this season, girl. We've only done three We've, You've only had one person on your team. We've only done this three is, <laughs> We've done four. This is four. It's three to one. Rachel, I'm really happy to have you. Happy to be here. Hardback is happy to have you. Uh, You're amongst a great group of people. Hardbacks are sturdier. They're more aesthetically pleasing. They feel better in your hand when you're just sitting down reading it. I feel like a Victorian gentleman that with like a glass of scotch and a pipe. I love that description. (laughs) Uh, so let's talk about this book. Uh, Jane Eyre, I was saying in the intro, and I know, Rachel, I told you the other day and you were shocked that I somehow made it to 34 years of age, uh, having not read Jane Eyre or even known any spoilers or anything I was in for. So I literally read this. Like, I know. I don't in, know. In I, the it's been a running joke. everything. I mean, don't you live in the UK now? How is that possible? I I know. I, I it's a talent that I have for completely not knowing anything about classics. 
It's not that I hate classics. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what happened to me. I love them. And now this podcast has given me excuses to read like so many that were kind of daunting sitting on shelves. I literally owned this without realizing I owned it. Um, so, so why I am bringing this up is for a segue. Um, so if there are other people out there, rare, rare people like me that know nothing about this book, how would you, how would you, in your own words, uh, like explain Jane Eyre and tell us, you know, what what Jane Eyre is. <laughs> if I was explaining to someone who had never, who had heard of Jane Eyre but had no idea what it was about at all, yeah. Okay, yeah. I would say um, Jane Eyre is a Victorian Gothic novel written in a faux biography style, which means it was probably influenced a lot by Charlotte Bronte, but it's not an exact biography of her life. It's a fictional character um, about a young girl named Janier who was orphaned as a child and lived with a cruel family uh, but made her way in the world after being sent to school and became a governess. And she finds adventure and love. And most importantly, it's about how women can be more than just baby makers. They can be intellectual. They can have a lot of depth. They can have a lot of contrasting feelings. And this book very specifically is talked about a lot because it's pointed out as being proto-feminist literature, as in feminism hadn't been invented yet, but this book is super feminist because it's about a woman who strives to both be loved and be independent. That's a dang good synopsis. That was better than better the than one Mr. That you Penguin. Meant. Yeah, Mr. Penguin's was not that good. <laughs> I I did not know what this book was about, so I got to like get to you know, and I, I guess the good thing once again we had the same. We did Rebecca as the first uh, episode of the season, which was awesome because often the two books get compared. I really? am told, and now I understand the. Yeah, I don't think they're the same, but I I suppose I see. The dark secret, the miscommunication, the confusion. There's a There's lot actually of like, two people, people in being love. hidden in attics in both, or like things being <laughs> hidden in attics in both books. Um, I feel like in that period of of life, um, people were often hiding things in attics if they had big houses. So that comes up quite a lot in that kind of Victorian Gothic literature whereas these days it's one of those victorian attic novels yeah you know these days we just sort of put our old 90s school books up in attics whereas back then it was like women and mysteries and (laughs) lies (laughs) so i mean this book this is a thing so i thought i'm like okay when i was reading this i'll take you on my journey because it's like the it's a fresh journey and i want to see like when you first read it, kind of how how it read to you. I'm excited to kind of hear about, obviously, like why and how and where it first came to you. And then kind of it's clearly a book you've read and loved throughout the years. So it's always great, like we did with Rebecca. Like I read Rebecca when I was 14. And then reading it again for this podcast was like, whoa, this is a very different experience. So I'm excited to hear that. But my experience was very, I just was surprised many times. I was like, oh, I think this book is about an orphan. Oh, what's happening now? She's in this crazy school. Maybe it's going to be about that. Then she's like falling in love, I guess, with this guy. But uh, I don't know how I feel about him. 
Suddenly there's spooky shit going on. There's fires being set. There's a strange sewing lady <laughs> kicking around that seems weird. Strange then, sewing lady. She sews things. Suddenly there's Isn't a strange she a sewing lady. That's, That's a first. Wonderful. A wonderful description. Listen, she gave her a synopsis. Now I'm giving mine. Okay. <laughs> Suddenly there's a strange sewing lady involved. People are being set on fire in their beds. What's going on? I don't understand. Then I find out they're really in love. He loves her, even though he's being a man about it. Uh, This is so exciting. Oh, my God, they're going to get married. Oh, this is wonderful. I wish she could get her self-esteem up a little bit because the whole time she thinks she's not good enough and he's going to get over it and whatever. And, oh, I'll just treasure this for now until he gets bored of me, which I also found similar to the narrative of the narrator and Rebecca. And I was like, God, women, come on. Damn it, women. Like, come on, girl power. Oh, right. This is long before girl power happened. But suddenly there's a crazy wife in an attic, which I did not see coming. It's and where was you keep them. thrilled and angry about. Um, I felt a lot of feelings about that. I felt frustrated and angry. I felt angry at God because <laughs> everyone cares so much about what God has to say about all of this. And it's ruining people's lives. Then suddenly... I'm off in another town and Jane is all like homeless and starving and begging for food. And then this whole other story opens up. It's just like quite a journey. Um, that's all that I got for this book. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I was just like, it, I, for me, basically to sum that up, uh, I felt surprised. There were like kind of many different stories being told. It was like an evolution of, I guess, a young girl to a woman um, and all of the challenges there. But uh, yeah, I kept continually being surprised because I thought, ah, this is what Jane Eyre is about. And then then it would go off in another way. And then it came back to a maybe good place in the end. I was very pleased with the See, the, the difference between your synopsis, Alison, and um, yours, Rachel, is that with, with Alison's, I'm really just sat here thinking, tell me more about that sewing lady. <laughs> unsung hero really um sorry i've ruined a good thing here so i'm gonna let rachel talk again uh rachel tell tell us how did you come upon jane Eyre, or how did how did you discover each other you and jane well um i was in junior high which as we all know is the absolute worst years of your life um I don't know what it's like in the UK, Becky, but uh, in the US, junior high is when you're around the age of 11, 12, 13, 14-ish. Oh, so, yeah, horrible. So, you know, the uh, really, really... Utterly dismal. Yeah. The pretty much worst years of anybody's life. And, you know, I really love my family. I love my family very much. My family are good people and they're caring, but I was such a black sheep that I did not fit in. My parents did not understand me and they thought I was weird. And I thought that they were weird, but in a bad way. Um, And I was just very, very, very unhappy. You know, I have older sisters. I was trying to live up to them. They were popular. They had boyfriends and I was kind of Magoo and you know, liked, liked different stuff that nobody in my family understood. They didn't understand my way of thinking. 
And my sisters are a lot older than me. So they had each other growing up and I had nobody. So by the time I was in junior high, they were gone and off at college or they were older and never like talked to me anymore because I was 12. Um, So I was very, very, very lonely. And when I went into junior high, it's a new school. So my friends who were younger than me were now gone. And my best friend was a year younger than me. So we weren't in the same school anymore. So I started junior high and suddenly I didn't have that many friends anymore because all my friends were kind of clicking off and I didn't have my best friend. I didn't have my sisters and I was so isolated. I just felt isolated all the time. I am so lucky and fortunate that I had an amazing teacher. Her name was Mrs. Montague or Miss Montague. And I think that she could just tell that I was super fucking lonely. Um, And that I was just a super fucking sad kid. I was just a sad 12 year old. And she also knew I was very smart. She knew I liked to read. So one day she was just, she just handed me Jane Eyre and said, I think you would like this book. And I was like, all right. So I took it home and I started reading it. And I just fell in love with Jane Eyre. And not because she was particularly amazing, not because she was overly talented or eccentric or anything, but because she was me. One thing about Jane Eyre that I think gets overlooked a lot is the first part of the book and that's when she is a child at the reeds and when she goes into lockwood school because like whenever i've seen a film adaptation or a miniseries adaptation they always like only give that section five minutes because they want it to be about the romance and i'm like no i want to talk about jane as a kid i want to talk about jane being my age, being eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, and being so filled with passion and ideas and feelings and love with no outlet for them because her family fucking hated her and they were abusive. It's I know it's because that they put all their worth in money, but it was just like, it's, it's with anything. If someone only values you based on their determination of what makes someone valuable and you don't meet their requirements, then they're going to treat you less than. And that doesn't have to be about money. That could be anything. And so I really, really was drawn to Jane. And there's a moment in the very beginning of the book. I mean, it's literally the very beginning of the book. She's sitting in the library and all she wants to do is read a book about birds. She's minding her own goddamn business. Looking out the window, she's sitting behind the curtain and everybody just has to come mess with her and like ruin her day for literally no reason. And I, I always think about that passage specifically about who Jane is. She just wants to, you know, have a little bit of pleasure, read something, learn something, expand her view. She's just minding her own business and people like try to ruin her life. And I was really drawn to that because that's that's the kind of kid I was. I would love to just kind of crawl into a curtain and read for a while, but my family might think that's weird. And instead of just leaving me the hell alone, they're going to make sure I know how weird they find it. 
and there's literally no reason for it. They just want, they want me to be really into volleyball, like my sisters. They want me to bring a boyfriend home, even though I'm 12. And I just wasn't doing those things, you know? And I was trying to do those things, but I was failing at them. And so it was making me feel even more isolated because I'm, I'm trying to grasp at this acceptance and not, not reaching it. Um, so that was my very beginning with Jane Eyre. And, you know, she, she does go through, she does have a lot of people in her life that do show her love. And I was lucky that I had that too. My Again, my best friend lived right next door to me. I'm so lucky. Her family Aww. always had an open door policy that I could come whenever I wanted. And Jane had that too. She had Bessie. She had, I can't remember, God, I'm, her name is slipping me, but the teacher at Lockwood School, the one that gave her and her friend uh, a secret dinner. And, you know, she always finds these little moments of love and that's how I felt too in the vast majority of the world I felt like an outcast but there's still these little moments of love that I could connect to and so that's why I felt so connected to Jane when I was young wow I I can see that like I can I mean I felt very like reading those first chapters of her as a kid I also was the uh hey why don't you go outside and play with the other kids put the book down I was like oh why? <laughs> Look at me now, reading books <laughs> inside and making a podcast about it. So yeah, I fully got that. How did how did at that age? So so how old were you? Again? The worst years. How how did you like find her growth and her evolution? How did that impact you at that age? Well, I mean, J- Jane Eyre is like my favorite book. I mean, really, it's Harry Potter. But when I want to sound fancy, I tell people <laughs> my favorite book is Jane Eyre. And it really is one of my favorite books. Um, and it's it's been my favorite book longer. I actually read Jane Eyre before I read Harry Potter, even though I read them within a year of each other. Jane Eyre actually oh. came first. Again, I was 12, 1997. I'm old. I'm an old millennial. Um, so, I mean, when I was... When I was 12, 13, I got my my first own copy. That was my teacher's copy. When I got my first own copy, I was 14. It was for, it was for Christmas. And I, I still have that copy. And I read that copy. It's a hardcover. With the duster, with the OG yes. duster. I read that copy <laughs> every couple years. So it's it's definitely a book that I keep fresh in my mind. But it's really interesting because, you know, I read it every three or four years. So let's say I read the first time when I was 12, the second time when I was 14, probably the third time when I was like 18 or 19, 25, 30. And then I actually read it not this past winter, but the winter before. And every time I read it, there's there's something new because I am older. I have new experiences. I am different. So when I was 12 and 14, it was mostly the sad girl thing. Um, It's also why I liked Harry Potter, because if there's anybody who related to a sad kid living in a cupboard under the stairs, it was me and Jane Eyre. (laughs) But I've never drawn this parallel. This is incredible. (laughs) 
but you know, when I was 18, I really started to notice her strength and independence because that's when I was starting to get mine. Um, I used to be very, very into church, very religious. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not now, but I'm certainly not what I was, you know, church every Sunday, very, very involved in my church, like in almost like in the volunteer staff, basically. Um, I'm not like that anymore. I don't go to church anymore, but I still have my own beliefs about things. And so when I was 18, I was very into church and going to college and becoming, you know, the person that I am now, but at the very, very early stage. So there's a lot of things I saw and I was like, wow, let's look at all this very beautiful spirituality. And oh, look at how she put herself and she just did what she could to get through school. And she focused on her art because it brought her pleasure and she got really good at it and she made a life for herself great and then when I was 25 and I had no idea what the hell was going on in my life because I was 25 and I was working at a coffee shop and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life still and blah 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 and I, I really wasn't going Relatable. to church anymore I that that had just kind of faced out of my life and now it was just kind of a book that I enjoyed because during that time it felt very depressing because there is a lot of depressing things in that book. It's pretty much the majority of the book is fairly depressing <laughs> when you look at it that way. Um, <laughs> but then once I hit my thirties, it was different because I, I had become a woman that went through all these things. And so I specifically saw Jane as, a very a strong woman again who and I, I at that point I wasn't even thinking about the religious aspect anymore it's just something that I detached as I have detached it from my real life and just look at it more in an academic sense oh yes of course the Victorians believed in the spiritualism and this gothic Christianity that's just how it was but Jane is not religious at all in fact, she's very, very outspoken in the book that she doesn't care that much about religious acts. Um, she's influenced by the people around her who are religious and spiritual, who are good. And instead of saying, oh, I'm very devoted to God, she cares more about, oh, the people that I know that are devoted to God are very good and kind and loving and that's kind of what she adopts and obviously throughout the book she is quote unquote a christian and she lives by her christian and moral values but that's because she was a victorian woman she wasn't allowed to be anything else so let's just like move past that but that's how yeah. i was looking at it in sorry, my sorry for yelling about god earlier before you mentioned oh no, no, no. please yell about god <laughs> i yell about god all the time sometimes i yell about god to god because it, i i'm just like why are you such bullshit right now <laughs> um, yeah god I, I actually said this to my friend the other day and I think that this is relevant to a conversation about the Christian God I said to her I tend to not like things that a mass amount of white men like <laughs> so and, and on principle so who I live in the US I can't speak to what it's like in England but yeah, white men do like God, um, and also 
weirdly, they like to make God and his um, family white mm-hmm. and male. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating how they yeah. do that, isn't it? White men make everything white and male. Yeah. Like, they also see- use their white male God to um, tell women what to do. And I also don't love that, so... Mm. (laughs) Weird. I know. (laughs) It's almost like, oh, is that why? Okay, anyway. um, This isn't a white male podcast. I mean, women can be told what to do by other kinds of males. Um, Also, you know, let's do equality. Um, a lot of people can put women in their place. Oh, let's absolutely. face it, we do need to be told. <laughs> Charlotte's father was a vicar, and Very you can good. see elements of that throughout Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. Religion, poverty, education—that wow, yeah. was the life of the Brontes, which is what made them so real and raw and Kate Bush singery. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why I said in the in my synopsis that it's a faux autobiography because so much of this book came from Charlotte's real experience, even though it's not specifically technically her story. But yeah, that's that's a part of it. Was there a woman locked in an attic in Charlotte Bronte's life? Yes, because it was a Victorian time, and that's where you kept some men. I think we'll never okay, so know. Just, everybody just had someone. Everyone. And when I say crazy, when let me just specify for for the two people that haven't read Jane Eyre, I don't mean crazy in the way white men. This is just the white man hatred podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, like to call like us crazy when we're like on our period or angry about you know racism or misogyny uh, or I mean, also the... like what the victorians called people that had legitimate mental health problems yes uh <laughs> she, she this woman in the attic genuinely uh dangerous um and uh unfortunately like quite deranged um woman sadly um to be so fair, i don't though. say she's just like oh his bitch wife that he <laughs> calls crazy and kept in the attic she was actually a danger to, to be fair i feel like if someone <laughs> kept me in an attic whether that were in victorian times or now i might go a little bit mad oh yeah right? point probably wasn't helping you know? It, it yeah i i feel like you know i might have started with a casual bit of the blues and then I was put into <laughs> the attic. And then after a while of being in the attic, the blues turned into a real deep-seated darkness that ate away at my soul until there was nothing left but the husk of a person and just casual misanthropy that made me want to destroy all other human beings in a crazy frenzy. I just feel like that could happen if you were put into an attic. <laughs> I mean, back then, women were called mentally incapacitated if they had heavy periods. So yeah. we we have have to judge it with a really loose stick. But Mr. Rochester <laughs> does make it very clear that he was tricked into the marriage and that she was presented as quiet mm-hmm. and pleasant. And he was doing it to save his family. And then literally the day after they got married, it was like, surprise, I'm crazy. So, 
you know, I'm pretty sure she was probably all like that. It probably deteriorated as she got older simply because that's just how the human body works. Um, but in his defense, I think it was probably something that did happen day one. Um, because she doesn't know him. But what is interesting, and I I think about this, again, now I'm 35. So I read this last year when I was 34. And I I look at this book a lot differently now. I can, I have 35 years worth of experience now. So when I think of his poor wife, it, what's really interesting is that she only comes downstairs and starts shit when Jane is upset. That is literally the only time. And it, it's, huh. you know, various things like Jane is upset because he she thinks Mr. Rochester is going to marry someone else. And then suddenly she hears cackling outside her door or sets Mr. Rochester's curtains on fire, you know. And it's almost like, I mean, how how many of you out there, dear cis women of the world, have been called crazy because a human male pushed you to the brink of your mental capacities for being absolute pieces of shit. And then you respond appropriately. And then they say, well, see, this is why, because now you're acting crazy. I mean, if I had a nickel, you know, and it, it almost feels that way for Jane. Because Mr. Rochester, from day one, totally toys with her. He toys oh. with her on day one being like, oh, I thought you were a ghost. Um, and he <laughs> pretends to like, he like super interviews her and <laughs> almost tests her, you know, pushes her. He constantly pushes her button. Also, like when you're a child and a, a boy is pushing you or like pulling on your hair. Or poking you. He sits behind you in class and he's just poking your back because he wants a reaction out of you. That is Mr. Rochester. And what did what were we taught? We were taught, oh, it's because he likes you. And how is Mr. Rochester perceived? It's because he likes her. He pushes her buttons because he likes her. And he never stops doing that. And literally until after the fire is when he stops doing that shit. And... Every time Jane's buttons get super pushed to the point where she's rethinking herself and her emotions is when Bertha starts some shit. Up until the point until when Jane leaves. Jane's like, fuck that. You lied to me. Peace out. And then what does Bertha do? She burns down the whole fucking house. And then, only then, is when Mr. Rochester stops pulling his shit. You know, I it's almost like Charlotte specifically wrote in Bertha to kind of be this persona of the absolute that women feel <laughs> when men push them to the brink and they just want to go, ah, why are you this way? And then get called fucking crazy. This is possibly the greatest theory I've ever heard. Is anyone else really embarrassed for men right now? 
Women have been bar- embarrassed for men, I think, since they started gathering firewood. Because it literally is like, <laughs> like they they don't get past the poke you in the back bit. It's like that's the bit that they get to. Once they get there, it's like I am man, I am done, and then they stay there for the rest of all time. And women are just like, dude, stop poking me in the fucking back. Use your mouth words. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah. why are you mad? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think this is my favorite episode. Um, I don't know what we're talking about anymore, but I love it. You want to know why? You know why? Because we're talking about the proto-feminist novel. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bringing it back. There before it started. Uh, So basically nothing has changed. Uh, That sums it up. Great episode, everyone. Uh, We'll see you in two weeks' time. That's the moral of the story. (laughs) <laughs> where we yeah. talk about a dystopian novel where the world's come to an end and they've sent women to look at it. That is actually what we're reading next. Um, yeah. Okay, so bringing it back on track, as much as I'm loving our tangents, they're wonderful. Um, it is so interesting. I think you're the first guest we've had that like you literally have taken us on the journey of like growing up through this book and with this book and as a like touch point throughout your life, which is so awesome and fascinating. Um, I wonder like, I guess who would you, I mean, it's something we ask generally at uh, every podcast, but you know, this has obviously had such an impact on you. Who would you recommend this book to if they haven't read it yet? Who, who, who do you think needs to read it and why other than potentially everybody? I definitely think potentially everybody because men need to learn from it. And I think women will see something in it. But specifically, um, like I said, I think it for anybody who feels lonely or isolated, I think anybody who feels different or like they don't fit in or anybody who's ever felt like they didn't deserve love, someone who, I mean, it, it might not be the best book for um, maybe someone who was abused as a child or growing up because it might be too triggering. Um, I was I was not abused. I was just made to feel. I was made to feel like I wasn't as good as I could be. Um, and it, so anybody who has ever felt that and who hasn't felt that, but <laughs> very specifically, there's certain people in my life who specifically made me feel that way um, on purpose. And any anybody who has gone through that would understand chain. Anybody who likes strong female characters, who thinks that women are more complex than just, you know, more complex than someone who just wants to get married and have babies. Um, or even just, I mean, what's great about Jane Eyre is because she wants to get married and have babies like she wants love so bad it's literally the only thing she wants but the only thing she has is her intellect and her independence and i i relate to that as well um i have a lot of love in my life but i am not married i do have a a very wonderful partner that i um am happy to be with but we're not anywhere near a place where it's like something like that it's not secure you know what I mean um 
I don't, actually, I don't even want to say secure because that's not the point of our relationship. He's just a good person. He's just like not a piece of shit trash guy. And he makes me laugh and he makes me feel good. You know, that's the kind of person I want in my life. I feel very loved. I feel very beautiful when I'm with him. And that's what's important. Um, and I don't have to sacrifice my intellect or my independence in order to be with him. And I'll, And some women do. Some women do because they want to. Some women do because they think that they have to. And before our generation, some people, some women had to because they literally had to. They did not have a choice. Um, And that's why I think it's so fascinating that Charlotte Bronte wrote this book when she did because the Victorian age was such an interesting time. I, I think it gets very undervalued because of the outfits <laughs> women wore like 15 <laughs> layers of clothing so they think that they were suppressed but they really weren't uh women were able to be independent in the victorian age they were actually able to get jobs the industrial revolution was happening pretty soon it would be the edwardian age and world war one were happened where women were literally in the workforce and then the 1920s happened you know women who were born in the victorian age became y- older flappers in the 1920s. And I think that's something that we forget sometimes because of clothing. And uh, we we think of clothing as kind of a, a form of suppression for women a lot of the times. But the Victorian age was such a weird, interesting time that Charlotte Bronte was living in. And I think that that comes out in her books when she created Jane because Jane is so interesting. She's literally independently wealthy where she becomes so she's literally able to make her own way in the world she started from nothing and gets everything that she desired and she does it by continuing like moving forward um carrying on as the british navy would say um (laughs) shout out to you (laughs) um that's why that's why i think it's such a great book for everyone because it just is a wonderful reflection of a woman who is allowed to be more than one thing and she's allowed to be herself. She's allowed to be smart and talented and lovable. And sometimes that does get typecasted even today. Even today when we see women in films and we say, oh, wow, she was just strong female character, but she tends to just be strong and smart not necessarily super lovable but you can be Hmm. all those things women are just as complex as men women are way more complex than men (laughs) (laughs) i know that you know that but a lot of writers don't necessarily write that um do did you by any chance prepare a quote or do you have a favorite quote or line in jane Eyre that sticks with you and that you love shoot no i don't <laughs> that's okay i, I honestly don't think i do i don't even know if we need a quote i feel like the the ranting about feminism and who jane is speaks for itself you know we can we can end this episode quoteless should we should we end world. this episode on like I, a, a rule for life um my rule for life yeah. would be like what's that don't keep your women in an attic. <laughs> I, th- I think that's where we should leave this episode. I just think, like, if we've learned anything from Victorian novels and the Victorian era, it is 
do not keep your women in an attic you know let them breathe let them let them germinate let them circulate yeah. let them get some air real or metaphorical yeah or they go crazy yeah women are only crazy because you keep them in your mind attic mm-hmm. what yeah <laughs> keep them in your mind attic. <laughs> mic drop mm-hmm. the end <laughs> This is going to be a very quotable episode, I feel. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to listen back to this one. It's going to be a joy to edit. Rachel, I can't thank you enough. This has been the most fun I've had in a while. And that's not just because of lockdown. It's genuine, good times, good yeah, conversations. Yeah, because we, we actually had like another really good podcast. So And that was recently. So she's not even lying. Because <laughs> like, I mean, she has had a good time really recently. And so yeah. I'm, just, I'm yeah. just giving her the proportions of your good time ability. Oh, I'm Thank so you. glad. Where can people, listeners, find you, find your podcast, find you on socials? Uh, please shout out any anything you want to shout out oh with the poodles already <laughs> thank you thanks um well you can listen to my gilmore girls podcast at welcome to stars hollow um on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and i'm sure other podcast places that i don't even know about um and then you can follow my instagram because i do post stuff about the episodes when i put put them out so like I said, my podcast episodes are very detailed and they talk a lot about pop culture. And so I'll post photos and references to what we talk about in every episode. And you can follow me on Instagram to see that at Stars Hollow Pod on Insta. All right, my love. Uh, thank you so much. You've been an amazing guest and uh, we can't wait to uh, return the favor, hopefully, <laughs> someday soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Um, As always, if you want to chat to us, uh, you can get in touch on Instagram at YowPod, on Twitter at YowPod, or join us in our Facebook group and tell us what you think and have thought about this latest episode. Um, Until next time, the end. Your Own Words is hosted by Allison Dunnings and Becky Graham. Our theme music is by Natasha Pasternak. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. Read along with us at yowpod.com. 